Well, may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 72 for Friday, 16th of November, 2018. Each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help discuss with me what's just happened in our country, what's likely to happen, and hopefully what we can do about it. This week's guest host is returning guest host, Ginger Valentine. Welcome back, Ginger. Hello, and thank you for having me. It is lovely to have you back. We'll plug your current project, I think, uh, towards the end, but uh, you've gone from a more political uh, podcast where you were were really satirising the right-wing talkback radio world, which was... um, Brilliant but depressing, the Bert Franklap podcast. And now you've decided to do something slightly less depressing. That's kind of a major factor, yeah. I'm, I'm something of a Renaissance person and got a little bit fatigued <laughs> looking at politics and having to to even imagine myself partially in the shoes of uh, people who are more conservative than I am, which is most people. Your character was an awful, awful person. I, I, I honestly feel like sometimes I was being a little bit too nice. <laughs> that was one of the things that made me give up. I'm like, I can, I'm, I'm too left to be that right wing. I can't, I can't do it. I can't buy into it. I'm worn out. Also, the things that they were doing were like they were getting worse and worse. So it was harder and harder to satirize them, I guess. Oh, it, it's so, and and so much of it was just the same stuff, digging into it and repeating the same lines over and over. And you can't, you can't find new material in you know abolish safe schools because we're all terrified of the trans boogeyman. Boogeyman, boogie woman, trans, non-binary trans goblin. Oh, funny that you should say that. Well, well, welcome to the podcast this week. <laughs> L- later in the podcast, Barry O'Sullivan. Uh, yes, uh, preferred tr- uh, trans goblin of the week. Oh, okay, so look, we're we're going to we're recording this on Wednesday night. We'll start with some of the follow-on from last week's. I suppose it was a terror attack because the person intended to cause terror. Although we don't call everything where a person intended to cause terror terror. But because this person had previously wanted to go and fight with ISIS, then immediately, that's terror. Like, it's terror when there's a Muslim involved. We've redefined the word terror, so it's not like achieve political aim through terrifying the general populace, which I would have thought was the definition of terrorism. We've now defined it very specifically so that it's only terrorism if it's committed by somebody who's a Muslim, and therefore only Muslims commit terrorism, and that's why we have to define terror. It's like it's beautifully circular. Hmm. Well, arguably, it's it's a bit more inclusive than that. It's anyone who's brown and looks like they could be a Muslim is really the the key criterion there. Oh, that's true. Uh, and and it's still terrorism when it's uh, yes. So if, if it's basically it's a not white, not Christian person. That's it. But yes, very sad that um, that person died. The two, including the um, killer, the heroic actions of Trolley Man. Uh, who the media have gone right off since discovering uh, he had a, had a bit more of a dark past than they had realised at the beginning and had served time for aggravated burglary. Mm. Also, also, just in general, I don't think the Murdoch Rags were too keen on having a homeless person as their like mascot of Australian identity. So. Well, no, because if, if homeless people are decent human beings, then we have to possibly ask ourselves, why is it that we're happy with them being homeless and not giving a shit about them? Mm. Well, it assumes that we would acknowledge their existence at all. So. Yeah. 
And, and since that's very much not what the uh, vast majority of the commercial press want us to be doing, looking at how much people as human beings, maybe occasionally as sort of the off-to-the-side uh, recipients of uh, some kind of heroic charity by somebody, but certainly not as something that we as a community have a responsibility to, towards and, and should be uh, concerned that people are left in that state. No, that doesn't sell papers. So obviously the victim who died was Sister Malaspina, who had worked at Pellegrini's, a well-established apparently Melbourne coffee shop up near Parliament. And basically the politicians turned it into a circus today. And when I say the politicians, I mean Matthew Guy and Scott Morrison. I mean the Liberal politicians turned it into a circus. Uh, Shorten had been there while they were still closed and just signed the book. But Morrison and Guy had to show up to argue that it was all about their policies on law and order that, were, that would have stopped this happening somehow. Um, because I'm pretty sure that they've been in government and have had, sorry, not in Victoria, but certainly in terms of the anti-terrorism stuff, the Liberals have been in government in federally, and they've been they've had every power they've asked for, and weirdly it didn't stop this. So funny that if it's a thing that's stoppable, um, as Peter Dutton was declaring, um, shouldn't Peter Dutton fall on his sword and resign because he he we gave him all these powers and he failed to stop a terrorist attack? Yeah, it, it, there seems a pretty clear connection between the you know, minister of. Uh, nightmarish Orwellian security, and you know, a, 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 an attack, a terrorist attack has happened on our soil. You have failed in your duties. Clearly, these things aren't working. What are you doing? Yeah, can we have our civil liberties back if they're not if they're not if they don't work? <laughs> if, if no matter what powers we give you, you're unable to stop the terrorist attacks. I mean, that's the deal, Peter. The deal. We give you all these powers, and you keep us safe. And if you can't keep us safe. You can't have it both ways. I mean, I know that you've been able to have it both ways for a very long time. <laughs> I was going to say he has. He's written a book on how to do it. Isn't the classic that basically if there's a terrorist attack, they need more powers. And if there aren't any terrorist attacks, then clearly they need more powers because they're working. Like, no matter what happens, they always need more powers. <laughs> it's great when you write the rules. Yeah, it, it's event-proof. If, the, if there's no terrorist attacks, they're working. And, and maybe we should give them some more. They're clearly managing them really well. And if there are some, then it proves that they need more. Like, it always works for them. It's brilliant. Mm. Well, like now, this, the, this prospect of banning potential terrorists from the CPD in some attempt to prevent more terrorist attacks is the, uh, the new Matthew Guy solution to people being attacked. But how would, you, how would he identify people ahead of time? He didn't know that this guy, the police didn't know this guy was going to do it. They, they had watched him, but they had decided that he wasn't. Like, they have powers to arrest people if they think there's going to be intimate imminent terrorist attack they, they could have chucked him in jail we've, we've given them the power to hold people without charge for like 14 days in a row they were aware of him they have everybody under surveillance like if these powers don't work then what exactly is Matthew Guy proposing that we all just lock everyone up who doesn't look like Matthew Guy and then they can't commit any offences because they're all in prison like <laughs> what where does he draw the balance probably that, that's a slippery slope because Matthew Guy is the most anonymous looking person I've ever seen and not looking like him would be very difficult to pin down because I don't remember what he looks like. I'm looking at a picture of him. I've looked away. I've already forgotten. Look, the bit that got me was that they stood up. So after Morrison and Guy had gone and made a big political circus out of Pellegrini's, out of the person who died, which I would say is massively tasteless, and trying to score political capital out of something like this is awful. But they then had a press conference where they... Well, when Morrison said this. These are prayer rooms. These are places of instruction. There are people who are seeking counselling and guidance on any number of issues, as they should be able to do. And that's happening in their communities. Now, look, I'm a member of a religious community, and my pastor knows what's going on in our, our church community. He would know if there was someone or 
his wife would know if there was someone who was leading a local Bible study group or something like that, who was teaching things that weren't in accordance with what our, our faith believed. Um, they'd be pointing that out and they'd be dealing with it because that's the responsibility of a religious leader to actually to protect the integrity of your faith community. Now, this is an assault on those communities, I should stress. I'm standing up for the integrity of their communities and want to work closely with religious leaders and others in the community to ensure that they don't allow these wolves in because these wolves will take advantage of vulnerable people. And I want to protect those people. And I'm looking to work together with religious communities, particularly Islamic communities, where we know that radical extremist Islam can take seed. And we've seen it here again, and we have seen it on other occasions. And let's not forget about the TAC and Parramatta. That radicalization took place at lightning speed with a young boy. So this can happen fast. It can happen over a longer period of time. And I'm not going to look the other way, and I'm not going to allow others to make excuses for people who want to look the other way. Yeah, I, I, I love the idea, the way that he pitches it, like this radicalization is happening at like Bible study groups and like Sunday school where they're like pulling out the how to build a Molotov cocktail thing right after singing Kumbaya. He, he makes it seem like it's really obvious. Well, he's only suggesting it only happens in Muslim communities. He's not, oh, very much. He's saying that, that in his community, the pastor knows everything that everybody's doing because his form of religion is clearly some kind of creepy mind control. Um, <laughs> well, have you been to Hillsong? I, well, but first of all, I call bullshit on that. Like, bullshit is pastor knows everything that anybody who's associated, mm. or, or his wife. Absolutely. <laughs> that was weird. Bullshit they know. It is weird. My, my, my father was a minister for a few years when I was growing up, I would not go so far as to suggest he knew everything about what was going on in a very small congregation. He knew probably more than some, but certainly not a ground level, like detailed knowledge of every single thing that happens with people who are members of that church. I'm pretty sure that if people were breaking off and, and forming little groups, particularly if they were talking about something like actually committing a violent act, they wouldn't be telling the the rest of the community that they think was going to dob them in or... Of course they don't. No, they're not going to be renting the, the, the rec room in the in the mosque to sketch out the plans for blowing up a car. They will, that's a frankly ridiculous thing to even suggest, that it is happening in those spaces. It might be tangentially connected, but that's by people and not by the Pe faith. But the people in our community who have the surveillance capabilities are the people who we've given those surveillance capabilities to, and they're not the local Muslims. No. They're Peter fucking Dutton. Peter Dutton. Peter fucking Dutton has the, these huge powers and he apparently doesn't know how to use them to keep us safe. He does know how to use incidents like this to try and demonize refugees. Like He immediately tried to fast-track refugee application processes for 108 asylum seekers so that they could, he could limit their rights of appeal, uh, which he failed in the Senate. But like they've always got a list of terrible things that they'd like to do to pet the vulnerable people, uh, and they're just waiting for the next excuse in order to do it. But yeah, the, the idea that Muslims are expected to have a better idea of everybody that they're even vaguely associated with and the things that they're doing in secret than anyone else does. It's not like Christian groups take responsibility when somebody who has previously been a member of their groups uh, goes off and does something terrible. And he had, this guy hadn't been a member of any of these mosques recently. He had gone off and done his own thing. So how the hell were they supposed to know? Like for the Prime Minister to be standing there and declaring this, just it's just demonising Muslim people and making it more likely that angry young men on the fringes, because of course, hey, guess what all these groups have in common? All of these assailants have in common. They're all men from whichever religion they are. They're all angry men. They're not all Muslims, but they are all men. It's, it's a far more consistent uh, thread than, than Islam, that's for sure. 
domestic violence is a far better like a history of domestic violence and violent behaviour is a far better indicator of terrorism than any kind of face connection. Now, I think I does have a policy about that. He wants to just lock everyone up immediately. The problem with mandatory sentences is that it actually means that people are less likely to report violence when it happens against them. Because if you're a, wo- a woman who's being abused and a terrible incident occurs, the man abuses, you know, there's a, another act of family violence. But you're not ready to leave yet. You're, you want it to somehow, you want him to stop committing violence, you want the police to be involved so that they can do something about it, or you want to get an intervention order so that there's some history. But you're hopeful because people in these circumstances are in a relationship because they are hopeful that somehow this will stop. But all of a sudden, the power to proceed is taken completely out of your hands. And if you make a complaint, the system is definitely going to lock the person up, regardless of that you're dependent on them financially, regardless that the you know the the, the, the impact on the children or whatever, they're not going to take anything into account. They're just going to lock everybody up. So what happens? The victims in those circumstances don't go to the fucking police because you've massively incre- you've meant that there's no gradation, there's no step, or there's nothing that can happen that can sort of pull it back in from their point of view. It's just go to the police and jail for the other person, which they're not necessarily ready for. So they don't do it, so that they continue getting abused. Not to mention the reduced funding over and over again by state governments uh, to domestic violence shelters for people escaping domestic violence and intimate partner violence. All those things that would would help solve those situations much more effectively. The Liberals' only solution to this shit is lock everyone up. Yes. Which is not a solution. It's just, it doesn't fix things. It makes things worse. And I'm not, by the way, in any way suggesting that people who commit family violence shouldn't face serious consequences, including jail. I'm suggesting that courts are in a position to take into account the factors. They certainly should do a better job of listening to women. But again, the Liberals aren't listening to women. They're just saying, we'll just lock everyone up. And that isn't necessarily what people who are victims in these situations want, or at least not necessarily at first case. No. We had that inquiry into family violence. Labor has committed to implement all of the recommendations. The Liberals still haven't. And they're not going to. <laughs> like they've made, they, this has been a thing that Labor's thrown back at them and being like, are you going to commit to them or not? And they've said no, they're not. So they're not genuinely interested in stopping this. I, I would believe it. It would it would contradict their law and order campaign, and and law and order relies on the threat of locking people up for the slightest infraction in a way that scares the Liberal Party, you know, n- their number one support base, into thinking that they're going to lock up all the, the hoodies and brown people and everyone else they're scared of when they go down to Woolies on a Saturday night. And the upshot of that is that the community is less safe. Very much so. Now, while we're talking about sexual violence against women, the Greens have a massive problem, which we'd better mention. I'm going to play mm. at this point the audio of Jenny Leong in the New South Wales Parliament this week calling out uh, Jeremy Buckingham and demanding, uh, well, saying that he needs to resign. Front, let me apologise for not saying any of this until now. I cannot stay silent anymore. The Greens are respected by many people as a party of principle, a party that holds ourselves in high ethical standards. So it is cause for much disappointment that our response to recent allegations about one of our own MPs has to date been completely unsatisfactory. It is for this reason that I am calling for today in this place for Jeremy Buckingham MLC to resign from his position as a Member of Parliament and take himself off the ticket for the 2019 state election. If he doesn't do this, then I am urging the party to act so that he is no longer a representative or member of the Greens because we cannot advance our agenda for a more just, more sustainable or more equitable world when so much energy, effort, time, resources, pain has been exhausted trying to manage one man and his unacceptable behaviour. 
There is a need for decisive action to bring this to an end, which is why New South Wales Green Senator Maureen Faruqi and I have now issued a joint statement calling for Jeremy Buckingham to step aside and to not contest the next election. This morning, we informed our parliamentary colleagues of our intentions and urged them to support our call for Jeremy to step aside. I hope they do that, and I hope he does that. Yeah, Greens, do better. Do better. Seriously, we need you to do... This sort of shit should not be an attack that is possible against the Greens, and Greens supporters and Greens members should not be being treated like this by the party. It needs to stop immediately. It's, 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 frankly, it's disgusting. It, Jeremy Buckingham has been long since known to people outside of the party, including myself as a sort of tangential Greens watcher, to be a problematic person against towards women and towards his co-workers. And it's completely fucked up that the New South Wales Greens let it get to the point that Jenny Leong and Marine Faruqi had to be the ones to call it out. Yet again, a whole bunch of uh, well-meaning left white dudes uh, waited until the women of colour actually took the uh, took the situation in hand and made it public. Everyone else was happy to let it coast and just look the other way and hope it would solve itself. Maybe the Greens should just pre-select women, not men, because, you know, there's less problematic crap from the women. There is some. There is some. We've still got Kathleen Maltzon in bloody... Yeah, women are not immune to that. No. But I still approve of this plan. The Greens are still pre-selecting Kathleen Maltzon, who uh, is at the very least a swerf, um, and she's supposedly officially backflipped on the... Um, the Nordic, the, you know, the ACL's favourite, the Nordic model mm. for sex workers, um, which basically endangers them significantly, but only because of the pressure that she's been receiving. And there's no, I don't believe that she's really recanted. No. She hasn't, you know, come out and said, yes, I was definitely wrong on that. And, and so she just said, I'll follow the party, you know, the official party position. Yeah, which is not comforting in any way, shape or form. No. I don't know why they keep pre-selecting her. It's depressing. Um but yes, generally, generally, if they just stop pre-selecting blokes, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's much less sexual violence from the women. Dina Tully has now come out and asked for the New South Wales party to keep Buckingham out, but this is not new. And we also had the situation where that, that Greens member um, had assaulted uh, Lauren. Yes, I was going to bring that up as well. They have not got a good history there. Yeah. It's also accosted friends of mine uh, and threatened to sue them for defamation in the days weeks surrounding all this palaver when frankly uh he should be concerned about his own behavior i don't understand why the greens don't have a better policy a better procedure in place for dealing with this this is not a thing that i would have thought that a progressive party would be doing and to be able to have labor there crowing about it it's nauseating because labor are not Mm. progressive on this stuff and they have a massively blokey culture which is i would suggest even worse it's just the greens the difference i think is that the greens have more people who are going no, screw this. <laughs> I'm not part of a machine. No, I'm I'm calling it out. And so the, the half of the Greens that are like, no, party loyalty bubbles else are being called out by the other half who are like, no. Yeah. Stop that. Yeah, that, ne- that needs to stop. That's really depressing that they had to do that. And it's just... No, please. And look, it is a distraction from what they need to be doing in terms of fighting for policy. But it's not a distraction created by the people who are calling it out. No, no, not at all. It's, it's something that needs to be resolved and in light of the, the Greens continuing growing pains and their difficulty in moving past this sort of third-party position with you know less than 10% of most votes, broadly, uh, this sort of stuff is anathema to them. It is exactly what they don't need and exa- it's exactly what they need to deal with structurally and seriously 
if they want to continue being a viable party. I am the sort of, I think I've said this before on the show, I'm a the exact kind of person who should be voting Greens and shouldn't be even thinking about it. I, I'm exactly the target market for most of their policies, but stuff like this gives me serious pause. Me too. I mean, I'm still going to vote for them because, frankly, it's not like there's any... In, in the ways that they fall down, the others are just as bad or worse. Um, and I know that they are fundamentally better on policy. But... Mm. Yeah, I, I genuinely don't think the Labor Party has any moral high ground there. They probably just have a better PR team to keep these sort of things quiet, if anything like this might happen, Yeah, hypothetically. But the, as you said, the Greens being a progressive party, there is there is even less excuse. Uh, and I think there is a certain mental blindness to it in the sense that everyone thinks of themselves as doing good and being in the you know on the the side of the the good and the justice and all of those things. And in doing so, completely ignores the possibility of this stuff happening. And they had do they clearly I don't know their structures or their policies, but they clearly don't have anything effective in place to deal with people like Jeremy Buckingham. Well, he's out there and he, seem, he's, he seems to be fighting for good things. Like, he seems like the work that he does seems to be f- fine, generally. But that doesn't mean that he can get away with doing this shit. And it doesn't mean that the Greens should just put up with it. It should be. I mean, the same way as any other. It's not a defence if you commit a crime to go, but look at that good stuff I did. Might, might mitigate the what sentence you ultimately get, but it certainly isn't a defence. Yeah, I'm really effective at managing spreadsheets. There might be seven corpses in my bedroom, but look at my spreadsheets. I'm I'm really good at community organising and and murdering and community organising and and dismembering corpses. It's it's not good enough, obviously. It's also not like not not like the stuff that Jeremy Buckingham does. There aren't other people who are willing and able to do it. Too. It's not like advocating for progressive policies a thing that you know. He has some kind of special bloody skill for that, that the Greens can't do without him. No, no. And it, it is, if anything, a very cis white dude attitude to the world where it's like, oh, but they're good at this one thing that somehow excuses or is enough to convince yourself that you can ignore that behavior. This is the classic white guy mediocrity that, that, that basically runs our country. Uh, look, we have the Prime Minister today being asked about fucking sausages. Mm. Did you hear this? I'll drop the I'll drop the audio in. <laughs> oh yes. Uh, whether whether the onions are on top or underneath, I'll always be buying sausages on on bread. Um, whether it's at the football, whether it's at Bunnings, or anywhere I can assist to those great charitable causes. And can I particularly say to those who are cooking them, who are out there every weekend supporting their local sporting teams or their charities and all the rest of them, how good are you? Um, you know, people of all ages do this. It's part of our Australian life that we support our local community organisations. So, um, you know, that's it's 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 part of what we do. And and frankly, I'm not going to give them any recipe hints. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's the Prime Minister telling us, joking along about the that which side of the sausage the onion should go. This is some story that, that the desperate for something to talk about morning shows were going with because Bunnings had directed people to put the um, onions underneath the sausages so that they're less likely to fall out and somebody slip on them and hurt themselves. So, yeah, there was a bit of, oh my goodness, political correctness gone mad or the lawyer's gone mad or, you know, that sort of bullshit. Um, well, it seems perfectly sensible to me. Like, yes, onion would fall out, and yes, that would be a tripping hazard, and yes, it's not that funny if you're the person who you know seriously damages your back by slipping on it. Yeah, and and, and like it was a Queensland farmer who was the like the the person who instigated this. Like, he had slipped and fell on onion, and that was what prompted this racing by Bunnings. It's not some you know Newtown latte sipping lefty 
like the Skomo camp would love to imagine, who's brought this up just to grief Bunnings, Bunnings have made a practical decision in light of a situation that's arisen and thought, we need to deal with this at a structural level. Put your fucking onion under the sausage. It does not matter. I know that you've listened to every single podcast that I've ever recorded um, <laughs> and therefore can categorically tell me whether I've ever had the rant about the the, the Stella case and the way that, that um, this sort of bullshit story is used to take our rights away. You, you know the story of the, the woman who was badly burned from McDonald's uh, coffee cup that was taken in the drive-thru? McDonald's coffee, yes, yes. Yeah, and that that's used as a... As a stand, it has been for like, what, 15, 20 years now since it happened, been used as a, you know, lawsuits gone mad. This is why we need to, parliaments need to come in and governments need to come in and take away people's rights to sue because they're these crazy lawsuits, people bringing mad lawsuits against people and it's destroying our economies. And sure, you know, in Australia we had uh, the HIH collapse and then we had governments come in and take away people's rights to sue when they're injured to the point where, like, you have to, there's a threshold. You can be injured to, like, I think it's 10% whole person impairment, 10% of your body and still not be able to sue the person who injured Jesus. you because we took that away because the government's like, they, they were, were blackmailed. The insurance industry said, if you don't pass this reform to take these rights away to limit what people can do, then uh, we'll be jacking up everybody's premiums. And so the parliaments are like, this is under, I thought it was under Keating, but 2000s later than that, it must have been under Howard. And the parliaments are like, oh yeah, no shit, shit. Okay, well don't do that. That would be devastating. So they, they took all these rights away and then the insurance companies jacked up the premiums anyway. But it's all based on <laughs> bullshit. Like your rights to sue somebody who injures you, like it's never been the, the, the you know, an automatic golden ticket. It's always, it's you've got to demonstrate, even before they made this bullshit change, which has seriously harmed people and left people, you know, unsupported after real injuries. But the coffee, the coffee case... That, that person was scalded badly because McDonald's, despite repeated warnings, had insisted on serving coffee at scalding temperatures, not hot temperature, not the temperature needed to be for, for coffee, but at literally scalding temperatures, put them in shitty little cups that were clearly not suitable for the purpose, which is giving them to people in drive throughs And yeah, it fell out whilst being held properly by the person and she received third degree burns. Yeah. She was badly injured because of McDonald's' negligence. Yeah. And yes, the, the original payout, because in America, they the amount that you get paid out um, on these cases was decided by a jury, and the original payout was something like a million dollars. But that wasn't what she ended up getting, because McDonald's, of course, appealed, and then a judge set it at much lower. And she ended up with a... what The ultimate figure, if you look into the case, it's you, I don't think anybody looking at it would go, oh, shit, given those injuries, yeah, no, that's way out of whack. No, it was quite appropriate. Yeah, she got, she got $640,000. She ended up with... Third degree burns all over her pelvic region, as you said. This is a 79-year-old woman. Yeah. So this is like my nan this happens to. And McDonald's knew about this. That's the key thing, yes. This was It was like all this evidence about how McDonald's had been basically ignoring people telling them that this was a problem and been going, well, we don't give a shit, get fucked. Yeah, she was, she was hospitalised for eight days getting skin grafts and needed medical treatment for two years after that. That, that deserves a great deal more compensation and sympathy. Uh, than, than McDonald's got away with offering. Yeah, and of course the, the version of the story that you hear though is a woman got some coffee and burned it on herself and it was hot. What an idiot. What did she think it was going to be? Yeah. Yeah, and that, that sort of bullshit, and there's lots of stories like that that they use, that they twist that way, is used to take away rights. So similarly, the <laughs> from the morning shows about this story. Sorry, if you're badly injured, but if, if in fact, if, if Bunnings had to pay out anything, the person would have had to have been quite injured because you have to get over a certain threshold before you can get anything. And yeah, they, if somebody is badly injured for the rest of their life and has an ongoing injury because of something that is reasonably foreseeable that, that they should avoid and that they can avoid with something as easy as putting a fucking onion under the sausage, 
It's not that funny. It's a fucking straightforward, logical thing to do. Who, who's your dickhead going, I want more people injured? Now, to be fair, news.com.au, <laughs> news.com.au have, have been clear, though, this will ruin Australia. That's, that's, the, that's the headline on their piece. This very proportionate response to onion being about a centimetre lower than it was previously. We've got, our, we've got our priorities straight. Oh, my God. You know, did you see the media watch about the Daily Mail stealing everybody's stories? Uh, I didn't, but it's not news to me. Uh, when a friend of mine who was dying of cancer had a story stolen by a Daily News journalist. I'm not shocked. Oh, because they basically, they're forced to write like, you know, an, a story every hour or something ridiculous. Mm. And the Media Watch did dedicate the week for us a whole whole episode to them. And they, they fired back with this extraordinary tantrum. I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like it. <laughs> a story subtly called Biased Barry. This is, this, is, this, this is all headline, by the way. Biased Barry and his taxpayer-funded Muppets. How Media Watch has been caught out breaching the ABC's ethics in a series of disgraceful tweets. Dot dot dot. And the show's bosses should be furious. All caps. Dot point. ABC's Media Watch program claims to be an impartial industry watchdog. New dot point. But a series of juvenile and offensive tweets has exposed the TV show's bias. New dot point. Host Paul Barry takes high moral ground, but is blind to failings of his operation. New dot point. Media Watch proudly claimed it was planning to quote take on Daily Mail Australia. And they've grabbed Jason Whittaker, a picture of Jason Whittaker with Kermit and Muppet. Media Watch story editor Jason Whittaker has done nothing much with his career other than navel gaze and sneer about media and journalism <laughs> from the safely protected world of political website Crikey and the ABC. This is the most extraordinary. Like, it's almost worth it. Basically, they've found out tweets. They found tweets of Whittaker calling Daily Mail a festering boil on the ass of Australian media, a skid mark on Australian media, sewer rats, and Paul Barry calling it... Um, a disgrace, and they're like, "See, see, they called us. They called us these things. Therefore, they can't point out the reasons why we're scumbags." <laughs> no, I, I think all of those are observably, provably true. It was hilarious. So yeah, but but then again, sometimes when they're stealing stuff from News Limited, and it's just who who do you root for in that situation? Because they're both evil and awful. That's that's true. It's like Roman Quadvleg and Peter Dutton, <laughs> both terrible, terrible people. But at war, like you're like, mm, well, you know. In fact, in that one, it's obvious because because nobody's as evil as Peter Dutton. So Quad League is still like by default the side that we're going with in that one. But you know, he's a cartoonish supervillain. And meanwhile, while we're talking people who are cartoonish supervillains from that side of politics, uh, Josh Frydenberg, the new treasurer. Have you seen his campaign that uh, we played the actual audio last week from uh, where Alan Jones shopped it with him? But he's still running this idiotic line that Labor addressing negative gearing in the way they're doing, it, which is only grandfathering. They're not getting rid of it. They're only grandfathering it and increasing capital gains tax on investment properties. According to Josh Frydenberg, that is going to A, push prices down, and that's dubious whether it pushes them down or just slow their increase, but also, even less plausibly, increase rents. And I don't know if you've seen, have you seen the video that he put up on Twitter today? I, ha- I haven't seen it, but I have heard it is astoundingly awkward, and I would believe that. He's walking towards the camera, like in this really stilted, strange, it's hard to describe, he's walking, it's down, it's uh, the Treasury Gardens down in Melbourne. And look, you, it's, do yourself a favour and have a look at it, but don't. But they like put it on mute, um, and you won't need to hear the, the audio because I'm playing it for you right now. Hurrah! Labor plans to abolish negative gearing as we know it, and to double capital gains tax on property. It's simple: if you own your own property under Labor's policy, it will be worth less. If you rent your own home under Labor's policy, you will pay more. Labor's Shadow Treasurer Chris Bowen 
says he plans to take Labor's policy to the next election unchanged. This would be a mistake and cause significant damage to Australia's property market. Labor just wants to increase your taxes. It wants to increase your taxes on your income, on your business, on your personal savings, on your electricity bill, and of course, on your property. Only the coalition can be trusted to lower your taxes and to keep the Australian economy strong. Yes, dumb lies. He knows perfectly well that rents aren't better. Ginger, are we safe in assuming that Frydenberg, the treasurer, is aware that rents have been skyrocketing under the policy settings put in place by Howard and Costello? Like, he must know that, mustn't he? On, look, on some level, maybe, but he's definitely not showing it on his face because his face is a rigid mask of a, of an Elder Scrolls NPC. Inscrutable. <laughs> oh unnatural. my God, that is exactly what he looks like. There's, there's a certain part. Anyway, no, we're not mocking people's physical appearance. He's also walking with his hands in his pockets the entire time. I'm sorry to focus on the visuals, but I was listening to the audio. It is a ridiculous message, and frankly, I found it comical in its own right. But the video is just what what who is the liberal party's video like digital strategist at the moment and what what liberties are they taking are they actively mocking the party and and everyone in the liberal party media room seems to think that it's legitimate or is this entirely sincere is this a minute of walking awkwardly towards an iphone with your hands in your pockets considered a good media strategy and was that their like how many takes did they do because like that's the take they've gone fuck it we'll just upload it and he stumbles in the middle of it oh crap seriously you can't do a clean take like it's not like the message is a complicated one i mean it's full of lies obviously they recognize that our pitch of (laughs) the property market's great doesn't really appeal to a lot of people. So that's why they have to shove in the thing of don't even thinking about voting it just because you don't own a home because they're coming... Because rents, your rents are going to go up. You know, it'll affect you too. Even though this is... You know, yeah, yeah. Rent, rents will go up. Like you haven't been dealing with that for the last 20 years. It's, it's, but they're just trying to scare people. What shit? Maybe, well, maybe they will go up. Oh my God. Imagine, could it be even worse? Yeah, no, don't worry about it. It's not because his entire analysis is based on the ridiculous idea that landlords aren't gouging you as much as they could because they are relying on getting the capital gains tax later. Yes. Hello, renters. How, how persuaded are you by the idea that the landlords aren't gouging you by as much as they bloody can? You know that letter you get each year saying, hey, rents have gone up in the area. That means I can use that as an excuse to gouge your rent again. Yeah, that, uh, not gouging your rents is definitely an experience, Definitely the experience of people who are renting, that, that landlords are holding back and that, they, that they're certainly not squeezing the market as tight as they can. Well, at, at the moment, there's really there's, there's nothing holding them back. I don't know what circumstance Josh imagines we're under where there is any kind of restraint or price like cap on on rents or the the entitlement and greed of uh, the landlords who set such rent. He's trying to convince us that they're that they're you know being benevolent to us and sitting back and not raising them as much as they could. Bullshit. Mm, it could be worse. <laughs> Bullshit. Everybody who's renting knows that their landlord is squeezing them for as much as they bloody can get away with. And the only thing keeping it from being, you know, ten dollars more is that they have to wait till next year because otherwise the market would explode. Like they've got to, they, they they've got to increase them bit by bit, steadily as they bloody are. Uh, it's just shameless and it's infuriating and it's insulting. They're treating us like right 
boobs. But it, it is exactly, it is very on message for the Liberal Party. This is the sort of message that Liberal Party voters will worry about, which is more about sneakily, you know, any kind of change to negative gearing and the money that they earn on their 17 rental properties is concerning to them. What What it's not is effective for the people that I assume someone walking through the garden is like, who who is this targeted at? Is it is it targeted at anyone outside of the voter base? Just anybody dumb who might inadvertently hear it. It's just his dumb message that he's shouting far and wide in the hope that, that gullible idiots will hear it. The people who've just bought an investment property who might be thinking of voting for um, the ALP for other reasons, he's trying to scare them, and he's trying to scare ill-informed uh, renters into thinking, shit, shit, it could be worse. And look, this is a policy they are not going to back down on because fundamentally making people rich for owning shit rather than doing actual work is pretty core LNP. Like, they've done a lot of backing down this week. Uh, they they cut half of the money out of the food bank, uh, and there was such outrage at that that they've backed down. Oh, look, that notoriously expensive food bank. It was really draining the coffers. Well, they've undone that now because they've realised that it's a, an appalling look, even, even on their own uh, worldview and their own supporters' worldview. The one thing that their supporters think should happen for the poor is charity and you know, food banks, not not letting the poor have money to do with as they like. They like the idea of paternalist control of the poor and telling the poor what they can have. But food banks are right in that wheelhouse. Like, there is no way for the Libs to sell cutting food banks as a good thing. So they, they've abandoned it. They haven't abandoned, I don't think, the idiotic idea of last week of giving... Um, a special place at the front of Virgin Plains for veterans. Although all the veteran organisations were like, what the fuck? No, we don't want that. And the veterans were like, what we would like is some actual support, like in practical terms. And Virgin was like, oh shit, we thought this was a gimme and an easy one and everybody would love us for it. You're saying that we're being screamed at by everybody on Twitter. Why did we enter into one of Scott Morrison's brain farts? Oh my goodness, whichever way we go now, many people will hate us. What have we done? Yeah, look, on, honestly, they should they should be regretting their position. They shouldn't be regretting any kind of deal with SCOMO. Yeah, don't don't play with the libs. It's, it's not worth it. By the way, talking of people who've got a ludicrous number of investment properties that the liberal message is for, Barry O'Sullivan, who I think at last count is about 49 investments properties. <laughs> so Senator O'Sullivan, who is a right idiot, uh, to the point where today he was declaring that uh, tofu is dried grass. Yep, that's science. Here's the audio. These are these people. They won't be happy, uh, Mr Acting Deputy President, to all sucking on tofu made from dry grass, uh, laying around all day, waiting for the Commonwealth to send some money into their bank account so they can go and do whatever they like. I am tired. I am tired of being attacked when I stand up and speak about some issues uh, around strong values that are the strong values I still believe of the majority of Australians. Yeah. Yep. That that's science and and definitely reflects the meal that I had last night: dried grass and vegetables. My favourite. Well, I mean, what, you're going to tell me that tofu is actually made of something other than dried grass? Well, I mean, it's a thing that grows out of the ground in a kind of way, so maybe it's grass. And I don't think it's dried so much it is quite wet, uh, and it's also processed. And look, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what he's talking about. Is he talking about what he was smoking before he made that comment? Because that makes more sense than what my meal looks like. Ginger, you can just say he's wrong about everything because really Barry O'Sullivan is wrong about everything. Uh, he was also declaring in the Senate today that most that uh, the, there were many abortions happening in Australia uh, in the minutes before a viable fetus would have been born. Now, anybody who's 
met a woman or is a woman would possibly contemplate that if you were going to have an abortion, you would try very hard not to have it at that point after you've like you've been carrying the pregnancy for like eight months. And that the only circumstances in which there would be an abortion at that point would be something very serious has gone very, very wrong. Nobody's doing a light-hearted abortion at eight months. Yeah, the, the medical intervention stage. Yeah. Like, this this might kill you, the person with the uterus who is growing the, the soon-to-be baby. That's the only reason why, you know, late, late-term abortions are considered. No one's, no one's getting through eight months of pregnancy and deciding, actually, you know what, it's not worth all that effort. I'm just going to cop out now. How does Barry O'Sullivan think that works? Does he think there's women out there who are just doing, doing pregnancies for fun but don't want children? Uh, see, I'm going to pick you up on one thing. I'm going to pick you up on one thing. And you've used the verb think. I don't think that's an appropriate verb to ascribe to Barry O'Sullivan. He's not thought about anything. There's no rationale. There's no research. There's no considered reflection. This is a knee-jerk reaction, and this is as this is as reliable a source and and as deep an observation as a Trump three a.m. tweet. Oh yeah, yeah. See that ginger. That kind of attack is why Barry Sullivan has had enough. He's had enough of that sort of thing, and he's going to take the only sensible approach that somebody can possibly take to avoid being attacked. He's going to become a trans woman. Here he is in the Senate today. Attack me for my religious basis. Attack me for my religious basis the other day, using words like rosary beads, because I had the I had the audacity to raise issues around late-term abortions, where babies that are only minutes away from getting a smack on the ass and a name are being aborted under the policies of the Australian Greens. So I will not stand silent. I will not stand mute while these people try to continue to marginalise policies and ideas that we want to discuss for this nation that I think are largely supported still by the majority of the nation. There's no question about that. They are an ever-increasingly silent majority because they're not going to speak. I've had it in here. I've moved sensible motions here, reflecting the views of so many people in our society only to have formality denied. No, well, you've been part of it, Senator Hinch. I'm going to declare my gender today as I can to be a woman, and then you'll no longer be able to attack me. Yeah, what a, what a, what a wonderful commingling of, of wild, disgusting transphobia, uh, just coupled with some really deep-seated misogyny there uh, for the pure double effect uh, of Barry O'Sullivan. What a wonderful observation. Isn't it nice how the religious right are very keen on using trans people as punching bags uh, for anything, like mm. in their culture war? But basically, their war is with lefties and atheists, but uh, they're aware that lefties and atheists would like us to be treating trans people with humanity. Uh, so they're like... Oh, okay, would you? Because then I'll fucking punch these trans people who aren't involved in this argument. No, no, we just get we get, we get thrown under the bus because we're a convenient punching bag. And like you say, it's a, a proxy war. We, we're used as as cannon fodder, as, uh, as sacrificial lambs to this ridiculous argument. I would like to see Barry O'Sullivan... Um, well, I don't want to say... Sorry, the end of that sentence is irrelevant because the start of it's a lie. I don't want to see Barry O'Sullivan anything. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that he's on his way out of Parliament anyway, but... I'd like to see what the media... Well, let's discuss. What should the media do with a dickhead who disingenuously and non-sincerely claims that he wants to be a trans woman in Parliament? Um, do Should the media, at that point, take her on her face, on face value, and treat her as a trans person who has, genu- who has declared and take, believe what a person says that that, that that is their identity? And 
treat them accordingly until the point where they say, no, no, I wasn't serious, and then tear into them for being the disingenuous, cruel, bullshit artists that they are, and how dare they throw out there and tell everybody that, and then and they'd be lying. How can we take anything you say seriously if you've declared that you're a trans person and um, and then pull back? No, like that that is not what trans people do. Trans people are not doing it lighthearted. Like this idea that... Well, I suppose it's the whole anti-trans attack against trans women in the first place, that they're going to attack people in bathrooms because they're really just men who want to go into bathroom, women's bathrooms and assault women like that has ever happened, which it hasn't. No. But, like, no no trans woman is doing, like, this light-hearted thing to get into a female bathroom for an occasion. What are they talking about? Men who assault women in bathrooms just walk in there. They're not... They don't... They don't transition. There's no magical scanner at the door to prevent you from walking into any bathroom. It doesn't identify as a gender on your birth certificate. There's there's nothing about that. There's no super locks. People just walk in. Did you see that dickhead in Denmark? Oh, my fucking... That, yes. Um, yeah, the people are Facebooking this. Because he did it deliberately as a um, an anti-trans attack. Oh, as an I'm being provocative thing. Yes, of course. Yeah, so the, the man who's like, I'm I'm a 60 or 9-year-old man, but I identify as a 49-year-old uh, because then I can date people on, on Tinder. And, you know, every you know, now you can identify as you like with your gender, so I should be able to identify with, as I like with my age, which is an, a trans attack. It, like, it is. It is openly transphobic. But in both cases, with, with this, the, the Danish dude and Barry O'Sullivan, both of them think, ho ho, I have seen through your game, I will use your weapons against you, while fundamentally misunderstanding the point of everything that they're saying. Like, honestly, frankly, if you want to think about it enough, time is a social construct. I don't frankly care. There's no uh, biological expression of 69 that's different to 49 in any particular way. Years are a human construct, whatever. I don't care. If you want to identify as 49, people are going to figure out you've been around since, you know, many decades prior. It doesn't It doesn't practically matter. I don't care. Be 49. Call yourself 49. You're, you're only a 49-year-old if you haven't learnt anything for the last 20 years. If you've been on the well, earth and in that 20 years you learned and did nothing. And I feel like his behaviour is bearing that theory out. Well, actually, no, that fits. Yeah, fair enough. Maybe you are a 49-year-old who's just really decrepit. <laughs> Your brain is 49. But no, they both think that they've cracked the code and they're going to Catch us at our own game. Ha ha. Look out, trans folk. I've seen, I've seen the, the flaw in your argument. They haven't. They're complete narcissists who are just scared of people being different than they are. That's the long and the short of it. Well, I think, I think they're different in the sense that Barry O'Sullivan is um, an anti-abortionist lunatic who wants to control women, mm. um, and he just doesn't respect trans people as being relevant, so he just used it as an attack on lefties. Very much. sort of a side issue. Oh, also worth noting that, that it's probably more likely that a trans man would have uh, an opinion on abortion, as plenty of trans men have uteruses, yeah. while not all trans women have uteruses. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, those things don't even come close to coming hand in hand just a convenient talkback jab that he's put in the hands of Alan Jones and everyone else like that. And I'm not sure why he gets the idea that, that women don't get attacked. Even on his side, like, he's being like, oh, women uh, anti-abortionists don't get attacked. What are you talking about? People, women get attacked. Yes, they do. They very much do. Women get attacked more than men in every area, and trans women in particular. I do think that the forty-nine year, the, the sixty-nine to forty-nine-year-old guy, though, is different from the Barry in the sense that I think that the attack on trans people is very much his point from the very beginning. Yes, like I, I think this is a calculated doing something absurd and saying it's like what trans people are doing mm. is an attack on trans people specifically. Like he doesn't very much so. That yes. is all it is. In in the same way that people attempt to equate 
transgender identity and transracialism, which are very radically different things uh, and that are generally only equated by people who are both white and cisgendered. Yes. So I think I, the thing was annoying me about that story was it was being repeated like, ha ha, look what a silly thing, which is exactly what he wanted because he wants to say that trans people are mm. a silly thing. And it was reported uncritically by, including the ABC, and they should have done a better job of thinking through it and going, oh, hang on, this is actually an tra- attack on trans people. We should be a bit more wary about this shit. Yeah. It's not a funny, you know, odd spot, what in the world, sort of, what in the wheeled story at all. No, no, it's not a kooky case. It's a, a, a specific attack on an uh, underrepresented and marginalised p- group of people. Yeah. If there were more transgender journalists, we might not have as much of an issue here. Yeah. Like if, and if the Greens had more women running them, we might not have the same problem with... Uh, well, I mean, that is kind of the old guard. They are they are doing a good job of gradually replacing the men with women. Oh, except we had it. Sorry, I, I wanted to end on something happy, but now I just remember the Green thing. You also saw that they, they have a problem in Victoria because they've had two young male candidates who haven't been adequately vetted. One who had a band who was rapping some really disturbingly misogynist and, and sexual lyrics with really... Um, disturbing sexual violence stuff in them and another who was liking pretty misogynist Facebook pages and they both caught out and there's a story about them and that's in Victoria and these were candidates um, I don't think the Greens have actually even disendorsed them it's just depressing um, no the um, that, uh, that uh, rapping candidate which makes him sound a little bit like a novelty hit single Angus McAlpine is his name and no the Greens have in fact defended him so uh, I haven't seen the particular content of his rhymes but I'm going to guess that they're pretty awful given that his name is Angus, Angus McAlpine. He's probably not the next Kendrick Lamar. It was something about Rahipnol and stuff too. No, no, no. All Australian rap is bad except for AB Original. Yeah, I'll allow that. There's some good stuff out there, but it is rare. Sorry, why did I just say that? Like, who's going to be to be like, hey, what? what's the good Australian rap, Jeremy? <laughs> Sorry, I can't believe it. I apologise, but that's the only good one I've heard. Yeah, look, 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 I've heard. yeah. There, there is much like like anything, particularly in hip hop. There is much more bad Australian hip hop than there is good, and I'm certainly not an authority either. I don't know enough about it to speak with authority, but I know that there is good stuff out there. But I'm willing to gamble that anyone who's willing to joke about date rape drugs uh, in their in their quote unquote raps probably isn't the sort of person who I would be comfortable voting for as a potential Greens voter. So no, how, how about Greens? How about, how about all political parties just establish, like, a second test for all of the male candidates? Like, the female candidates just, you know, you standard vetting, and then the male candidates, you sit down with their computers, and you just really have to go through it with them. <laughs> just go through their browser history? Yes. Because it turns out that misogyny transcends all other types of politics. From the left to the right, men are still fuckheads. Good on us. Mm-hmm. To be fair, that we are trained to be dickheads, but yeah. Yeah, it's all deeply baked in there. I, I will also allow. Sorry, I'm just looking at an article while while you were talking, and I was listening, not being rude. Uh, <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Like, I, I sometimes regret that we do not have a, like the big podcast with the the, the you know the three or four people where somebody can be called on suddenly and they've been busy doing something else on Google. And they're like, wait, what? What stuff's still happening? <laughs> oh, that's a staple. It doesn't really work with a two person one. It's usually more obvious. But no, yeah. I, like I'm just <laughs> noting in the ABC article, Angus has acknowledged those lyrics and has distanced himself from them. Uh, and and in a in a sort of way, I appreciate coming from someone who's, as he said, this is from 2010, and he has been on a journey and learned about toxic masculinity in that time. Uh, I'm not sure that I would be confident in saying that everything that I've ever done would stand the test of time uh, now. And I would hope that there is a certain amount of leeway for reflection and growth. It probably would have been better if he had owned this stuff beforehand rather than letting it be a thing and then dealing with it afterwards. But 
to be fair, the 2010 stuff, like when they pulled this shit up from so long ago, and they did it with another Greens candidate who'd done something about shoplifting or something. Yes, I did see that. And it's like, you don't remember shit from that. No. I have no idea what I tweeted last week. The, the, the bit the other way, where, where Morrison, the, the tweet that I tweeted at Morrison or Morrison tweeted back at me about uh, mocking the uh, the um yes the minority government thing and the ma- their claim to have a mandate and thing and that the Morrison like, so the prime minister had sent me a tweet I had no recollection of this at all like I don't I don't remember what I did so mm. it's I don't blame people for forgetting this shit and I, and, I, and I'm happy to forgive people that have when and for people to have moved on um, Labor are saying that one of them that the rapper guy was saying some terrible stuff like last year and he's got some screenshot somewhere but I haven't been able to see it because they haven't. I don't know. Where, I, I haven't seen the evidence of it, and I'd hope they didn't. I don't know. I just, yeah, I do, I do think you need to draw a time limit where people can have grown from it, but they certainly need to acknowledge it and have. Uh, and you know what? We do it for conservative politicians all the time. Conservative politicians are always allowed to be like, oh yeah, no, I've grown from. I've, uh, you know, oh yeah, that was those were some tasteless jokes I was telling back then, but I've grown and learned from it and moved on. I, I think there is a, a requirement. To when you say that, to to demonstrate that, and to show in your apology that you understand why that was, you know, a, a tasteless thing to say and hurtful to a huge portion of the population, and demonstrate in by your actions and not your words uh, how you've changed and learned about that sort of stuff. That that that, that to me is the requirement. Uh, just saying, oh no, I'm, but I'm a different person now is uh, is an excuse. It's dodging the bullet, really. Yes. No, I, I hear you. And I, and I think that it's, and it also, you see it a lot in, with comedians too, like the big difference between the comedians who can see the stuff that they were doing 10 years ago mm. and then see the flaws in it because hopefully you've grown in those 10 years. Hopefully you see that I, I'm, I think I would, I'm sure if I listened to something I'd recorded 10 years ago, I'd be horrified by it. I, mm. Like I've learned a lot over those 10 years. And, oh, yeah. I, and I presume we lost, learned a lot for the 10 years before that. Like, there's a reason we're alive. It's a t- there's, there's plenty of stuff that comes up in my Facebook memories that I'm just like, that's a different person who wrote that shortly. Because that's what life is. You, you things come in. You, 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 you listen to people. Hopefully, you see new things. You learn. You grow. You become gradually, slowly, a better and better person as you get older and, and pay attention. Otherwise, what's the alternative that you say? Oh, I've, I've, I've. Well, you do. You have people who are like that thing was funny to me when I was a child. I refuse to accept any crit. I. How dare you criticize that Monty Python sketch? <laughs> I, I like. I think it was funny, and I'm not going to ever see anything wrong with it because otherwise, I have to, you know, think that the younger me was missing something important. So, I, because I refuse to do that, therefore, I'm going to stubbornly defend things that I should know better by now. It's infuriating. Anyway, I do remember having an argument with my parents once where they were like, you know, we formed these views 20 years ago and we haven't changed and we're not going to change. I'm like, wait, you're saying that the last 20 years of your lives were a complete waste? You took no information in. You lived in the world. You took nothing in. That's a bold claim. I don't know that I'd be so proud of that. Just checked out. We're done. We've done all the hard work. <laughs> That's right. We're perfect. <laughs> we don't need to take in any more information. Uh, anyway. I know people do that as they get older, but I don't know that's a very healthy thing to do. I, I, I fully hope that when I look back at this recording in 10 years' time, because, you know, I'm definitely going to be digging up old podcasts that we did, but <laughs> I hope that I'm horrified. I hope that I look at them and be like, shit, yeah, I wouldn't do it that way anymore because I've learned better approaches to things by then. Hmm. I hope that that intervening time has been one of learning. Anyway, I don't think we really learned how to fix Australian politics this week. <laughs> it's too much depressing crap. Well, actually, you know what? That whole discussion we just had really was. 
try to learn. Try to don't stick stubbornly to what you did previously and be like, well, that must be as good. And I and I would have to be admitting fault to feel that, that I could have done it better. And since that feels awful, awful to do, I don't want to do it. So I'll stubbornly stick to the way things that I was doing things. You've got the rest of your life starts today, and so we can always maybe that's the approach. Then certainly the approach the bloody green should take. It would be better if this. That's exactly what I was just thinking. Yeah, be better if this bad thing hadn't happened. Be better if we dealt with it faster. Anyway, we can't change the past. What we can do is identify the issues right now and work a better way of going forward. Let's do that. Let us. Maybe we should all do that. I think that's a, I think that's a good attitude to take into the week. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, Ginger, for joining us again. Very much enjoyed having you back. Thank you, everybody, for coming back to the podcast. Thank you, everybody, who's discussed things with us on the Twitters at Well May We Say. I think at this point, beyond supporting us financially, because that is huge, that's how we can keep the podcast going, uh, and the Patreon is linked to at wellmaywesay.com. And apart from giving us a five-star review on iTunes, which, again, is how podcasts keep going because it's how people find them because Apple Podcasts is still the way uh, that they seem to get ranked and found. Uh, so apart from doing those two things, which are huge, the biggest thing for keeping the podcast going is chatting with us on at Well May We Say about the stuff that we've talked about, about your thoughts about it, about your ideas, about the things that we got wrong so we could learn from them. Um, but just, yeah, interacting with us on at Well May We Say makes a huge difference. It makes us feel like we're part of a community and it makes other people who are listening to the podcast feel part of a community as well. And I think that's what we, that's what you kind of want to build with the podcast, isn't it? A community of people who are um, brought together by this discussion and, and continue it through the week. Very much so. Hmm. So if anything that we've said on the podcast tonight has sparked reactions, please do share them with us. Uh, that makes a huge difference and they're fun to get off your chest too um that's that's what twitter is it's a place where you can get off your thoughts off your chest and then hopefully put it down at some point and go to bed ginger thank you so much for coming back and we will look forward to hearing what was stuck what's stuck in your craw next week and everybody else we will see you when we return uh thank you robin gray for the music alex lum for the artwork and we'll see you all next week farewell bye